Heavenly Father, we praise you. Lord God, thank you for uh, the blessings, the way you have blessed this family, the Overmans, and for their ministry to us this morning. Lord, we thank you also for the joy of Christmas. We praise you for sending Jesus to save us. And although this is a mystery that is far too deep for us to understand, we ask your help this morning that you would help us to enter into the story and that you would open our hearts to what you have for us in it this day. In the name of our Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, if you're feeling like I am on the the Sunday after Christmas, you may sort of have this feeling of, wow, what was that that just went by? Was that Christmas? And maybe I feel that way about the whole year. It was a blur. Went by in a flurry. And amidst all of the wrappings and uh, decorations and Christmas trappings and the, the pile of unwritten Christmas letters on my desk, I'm left kind of trying to make sense out of Christmas. And I'm thankful that there were a couple of moments this year when Christmas really did make sense. One of them was right here in this room on Christmas Eve. It was such a blessing to me, those worship services, and seeing all the people gathered and how many had traveled a distance to be here with family, and then the music at the choir, the musicians, and then... To, for me, to cap it all off, at the 11 p.m. service, the clear treble voices of bel canto was just like angels singing. And I'll tell you, when you're, when you're sitting here and all the people have gathered to sing Silent Night and everyone's raising that candle, that's when Christmas just makes sense. And there was one other moment. The next morning, uh, there was a brief minute when uh, I was actually able to gather my family together for just a minute, and we had a quick prayer together. And those are the moments, for me, too at least, where Christmas really just made sense, that there was a Savior who had come to earth, that was born as a baby, and that we needed that Savior. But honestly, I have to admit, if I look back at most of the past month leading up to Christmas... I'd have to look at that flurry of activity and wonder whether much of it could really have a connection with celebrating the Prince of Peace, the one who came to bring us the peace that surpasses understanding. So I'm really thankful for those those moments when it kind of comes together and I feel that connection and it makes sense. It's as if Christmas takes all the expectations and hopes of our lives and focuses them on this one Eve. And that can lead to disappointment because the expectations are so high, the letdown can be pretty low sometimes when we're left trying to make sense of it all. And so with Christmas behind us now, I want to look back at the past week and the past month and ask you, where did you find Christmas this year? When did you see it? Because that's the question that really connects with our scripture this morning from Matthew 2. When and where did you find Christmas? Because the most striking thing to me about this scripture is that this is a story of people who are struggling to make sense out of it all. It begins with the Magi, these astrologers from afar, and they come into town asking where? Where is the, they're trying to find the explanation for this sign they've seen in the heavens 
trying to make sense out of it. And next, Herod. Herod is afraid because he doesn't know anything about this new king. So he's trying to make sense out of it. Who might be this new challenge to his throne? And when King Herod is afraid, watch out. That's bad news because he's a bad man. And when Herod is afraid, all Jerusalem is afraid. This is a king who has killed his wife, his mother, and three of his own sons. And Herod calls together the priests and counselors to try to make sense out of things. Now, they don't know what's going on either. But they do know their scripture. And they know that the prophet, Micah, has told that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And so Herod is able to direct the Magi to Bethlehem. Now, here's the great irony in that. How is it that these Magi, these, these foreigners, who aren't even Jews, are the ones who first discovered that the king of the Jews has been born? Where are the, the leaders of God's people? The priests who are at the heart of the temple, the heart of the people of God in the center of power, miss it. And there's a lesson there for all of us, I think. It's a lesson that I think was beautifully illustrated in Becky's story just a minute ago. Because when God sets out to do a new thing, he doesn't do it at the center of the church. He doesn't, he doesn't do it in the center of the power structures that we've built up. He does it out on the margins. He finds places out on the fringe territory, places out in the mission territory. And that's what Becky has discovered in her life when she discovered growing up in this church. And now I'm not, of course God shows up here every time we worship. He's here now. The, the, the heavenly host is praising right now that we're here gathered together as worship. God is doing this. But I'm talking about something beyond that. When God does a new thing, he tends to do it out there, out in the margin somewhere, away from the power structure. And that's where Becky's faith really grew. And it's the same for all of us. If we really want to see the new thing God is doing, we need to get out there into the mission frontier. And we don't have to go to Guatemala like Becky or Brazil like Mandy to do it. God has brought the world to our doorstep right here in Bellevue. We don't have to look very far. And I would like to encourage everyone here to consider exploring that mission frontier that's right here on our doorstep. Take a look at the perspectives class that's going to be offered here at our church starting in January. Take a look at it. It'll open your eyes to what God is doing in the world around us. So back to Matthew 2, the rest of the story. Everyone's trying to make sense out of things. The Magi, Herod, all Jerusalem, the priests. Everyone's trying to make sense out of this birth of this alleged king of the Jews. But they're not the only ones. There are other unnamed people in this story who are finding it actually impossible to make sense out of things right now. Just like there are every Christmas when innocent lives are lost. People who are left with nothing but their grief to deal with. And of course, these are the mothers and fathers of the children who are slain. This is a part of the Christmas story that just does not make any sense. How do you make sense out of that? 
Well, there's one other person in this story trying to make sense out of it all, and that's Joseph. He keeps being redirected by the angel. First, pick, pack up your family, go to Egypt, then back to Egypt. And we read, continuing in chapter 2, verse 19, when Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. It still doesn't make sense. The angel sent him to Egypt, has brought him back again. But this son, Archelaus, he's just as bad as the father, so Joseph is afraid to go there. So now he gets another warning to go to a different place, and this time he goes away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. Quote, he shall be called a Nazarene, unquote. And now, finally, we see that there's one more person trying to make sense of this story. Matthew, the writer of the story. He's not just telling us the history of what happened. He's not just giving us historical account. He's also helping us to interpret the history. He's connected it to God's story. He's connected Jesus to God's story as foretold through the prophets. He does it four times in this chapter. The first one is the prophecy about Bethlehem, where God told the Messiah would be born. Next, he connects Jesus to the Exodus story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt and saying, out of Egypt I have called my son. Then he connects the story of the loss of innocent life with the weeping of the mothers and fathers. And he connects their story to the words from the prophet Jeremiah about Rachel weeping for her children. And then fourth and finally, in this closing statement, he will be called a Nazarene. Now, the interesting thing about this, he will be called a Nazarene from the prophets, is that you can't find that sentence anywhere in the prophets in exactly that form. You do find lots of mentions of the Messiah using the word branch. You find it in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah. You see the word branch and the word Nazareth are spelled with the same characters in the Hebrew language. Here's an example. I think the best example is Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse. Jesse, that was David's father. So King David. So he's saying that this is the royal offspring of the royal King David. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. And then again in Jeremiah 23, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a righteous branch, that's the code language for the Messiah, and he shall reign as king. And there were several other prophecies like that, speaking of the righteous branch. You see, Matthew is pointing out through the prophets that the long-awaited Messiah, the offspring from the royal king David, is Jesus, and that he is a Nazarene. Matthew connects his story to God's story. 
But I believe that Matthew is making another connection here that's every bit as relevant for us as the connection to Jesus. I first discovered this traveling through Israel a few years ago. And I love visiting the archaeological sites. And the interesting thing there you find is that the explanations that are posted on the signs at these sites are printed in three languages, Hebrew, Arabic, and English. Now, the English explanations all use the word Christian to describe the history of the early church. But you read the Hebrew sign, there's no such word as Christian in it. Because if there were a word translated as Christian, that would imply that there was a Christ to follow. They don't use that word. The word that's used for the followers of Jesus is Nazareans or Nazarenes. And Jesus is referred to as the Nazarene. You see, Nazarene is the way the people referred to, the very first people who read Matthew's gospel. They were Nazarenes. Why? Because they followed the Nazarene, the Jesus of Nazareth. You find this referenced even in Acts chapter 24, when Paul is described in an accusatory way as being a ringleader of the Nazareans. And it's still the same today. The same word that was used for the followers of Jesus in the first century is the same word that's used today. You see what Matthew has done? Through Scripture, through the prophecies, we've been connected to God's story. We are Nazareans when we follow Jesus of Nazareth. Matthew is deliberately pointing out, yes, indeed, you may call us Nazareans because we follow the Nazarene who is the Messiah. So the irony is that in spite of Herod's attempt to wipe out the Christmas story, to kill this baby who would be king, in spite of it all, history has fulfilled the prophecy. And it's a wild story that's been fulfilled, full of twists and turns, and wrong turns. It's a story of people trying to make sense out of life. And Matthew points the way, because he connects it all to the story God is telling through human history. That's certainly not the way I would have done it if I were God. If I were Bruce Almighty... I think it would have been a lot more like the movie. I think I would have just swooped down from heaven with the heavenly host and wiped out Herod immediately. Let's get this cleaned up right now. Why does this make How can this make sense? I only have this observation. There must be something about human history and human freedom of will that God values so highly that he would do anything to avoid overpowering us. That he would even subject himself to human history in order to maintain human will. And yet his plan succeeds and gets worked out in spite of us. And history tells God's story in spite of us. That's the story we're hearing today. And it's the same for our individual lives. Because our stories make sense when we discover, for each of us, how our story is connected to the bigger story that God is telling through us. 
So let's return to the question I started with. Where did you find Christmas this year? Now some of you may have heard the news story this Christmas uh, about this little girl who when she was 12 years old, she was living on welfare and her family didn't have enough money even to buy gifts. But a nun brought her a baby doll, gave it to her. And she says that the most important thing to her about that Christmas, which is the most memorable Christmas, that the most important thing was not so much the baby doll as the fact that she received a gift so that she didn't have to admit to anybody that she didn't get anything for Christmas. Well, now that she's grown up, she wanted to do the same kind of thing for other little kids who didn't have anybody who could buy them anything for Christmas. And you've, you've probably heard of her. her. Her name comes from the Bible name, which means dust or out of the dry earth. Her name is Oprah. And I heard this story about her last week when my wife Linda said, Bruce, come here. She hollered at me from the other room. Bruce, come here. And uh, then she had to say again, Bruce, come here right now. <laughs> and now I have to admit, I, uh, I'm sort of the... Uh, came into the, the room with my kind of typical Scrooge-like, skeptical mindset because I knew the TV was on. And uh, I don't watch a lot of TV. And I was stunned by what I saw. And it brought tears to my eyes. She, bought, uh, she had purchased gifts for 50,000 AIDS orphans in South Africa and had a big Christmas party for them all. And that's the big, that's the big news story. But you know... I don't think that's the real story. That's, that's the superficial story. But 50,000 gifts, that's just money. And I don't think the big story is just about money. I, I think the bigger story here is what happened to Oprah when I listened to her. That this changed her. That she said in that interview that for the first time in her life, some things made sense about her life. For the first time in her life, it made sense to her why she was single, she had never married, why she had never had children, why and how God had prepared her for this moment, and that this was the reason she was on this earth, and the reason that that baby doll as a 12-year-old made sense to her. And all that came together. And the reason it came together was because she realized how she was a part of the bigger story that God is telling. It started with a single doll. The rest is history. Well, what about you? Where did you find Christmas this year? If you feel like you missed it, don't worry. Christmas can come any day. It can come any time that we discover how our story is part of the bigger story that God is telling through our lives. He's telling that story right now through each of us. Do we have eyes to see it? Do we know where to look? Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for the deep mystery of your coming into human history, for making us a part of your story, Lord, the story of the salvation of the world. And now, Lord, by your help, for we can't do without you, show us how that is to be.
for each of us. Lord, I pray for each one here that you would help us to see that so that we can trust in your name forever. In Christ's name, amen.